0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Do you remember when the Bible was something you held in your hand? Do you remember that when you actually when the Bible was actually like a book that we held? I want to tell you why I think that's why I, I like having a physical Bible. One of the reasons I like having a kind of a hard copy of the Bible is because it has this title on it that says Holy Bible. How many of you have a Bible on it that says on the on the spine or on the front? It says it says Holy Bible. How many of you have a Bible like that? Yeah, I think that's a helpful reminder. You know, it, it reminds me this isn't just any Bible. This is the Holy Bible, and I think that that matters because there's a lot of Bibles out there. Isn't that true that there are a lot of Bibles out there? I'll tell you a secret. Everybody has a Bible. No matter how religious or secular a person identifies as, everybody has a Bible. Um, everybody has something that we put our trust in. And so anything that we put our trust in, anything that we give authority to in our lives, anything that is allowed to, or anyone who is allowed to teach us, or anyone who's allowed to tell us how to live, that voice, their, their voice, or that that source, that thing functions in our lives as a bible and so i know lots of people for whom say like fox news is their bible or or like like as as though if fox news said it it must be true i know people for whom the same is true for like cnn if they said it it must be true and they can bank on it i know people for whom joe rogan is their bible or jordan b peterson is their bible the same could be true for it could be said for, for like Lady Gaga or, or Lizzo or Beyonce or Drake. The same could be said for people who trust the, the Quran or the the Book of Mormon. For some people, the, their Bible is Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. and we defend all of these as though they are infallible don't we? And as though they are inspired, as though they are authoritative. And so there are lots of Bibles. There's lots of Bibles, but not every Bible is the Holy Bible. In fact, uh, not only are there lots of Bibles, but among some Christians, even the Holy Bible isn't allowed to be the Bible because of some of the things that are inside. And so it's, it's become popular to sort of deconstruct the Bible, so, for example, there's an author named Peter Enns, and he uh, wrote a book in which he argues that um, Christians need to be less biblical and need, they need to be more like Jesus. Like, to be a healthy Christian, in order to and in, in order to ever sort of reach the culture for Jesus, we have to like let go of the parts of the Bible that upset us. And at the beginning of his book, he gives a long list of examples and hard stories. And at the end of that list, Peter ends asks, he says, all this is part of the Christian Bible that Christians are often taught to take without question as God speaking to them. What are we supposed to do with a Bible like this? What are we supposed to do with a God like this? Okay. So we have a problem. Because there's all these voices uh, advising us, claiming that they tell the truth, claiming that they know better, and and, and it can be hard to know who to listen to. We are bombarded with messages, and we're constantly comparing and competing and consuming, and so it's hard to know who to believe, and we wake up one day, and we realize that we're listening to these voices that aren't God's voice, and suddenly it's been such a long time since we've actually heard God's voice in His Word. So it's hard to know who to believe. And it's also, it's almost impossible to be content. Do you remember what it's like to be content? Have you ever been content? It's hard to feel like it's enough. Like we have enough. Like we are enough. And I'm like, how did that happen? How did we get there? Like, and, and, and what can we do about it? How can we find that contentment again? And, and that's why be, this morning we begin a series we're calling Enough... And for these next three weeks, we're going to be uh, talking about contentment. I'm going to share three huge gifts that God has given, and I, we'll just see if that doesn't help. Spoiler, I'm just going to tell you right out what those three gifts are. One is, one is community, the gift of community. Another one is the gift of your calling, okay? The gift of your calling, we'll talk about that. And, then, and the, the first one, though, this is where we're going to begin, is the gift that it is to have God's own word. Now, I'm going to draw your attention to the phone number at the bottom of your screen. The, the reason that's there is so that as we go along, if you hear something said that you'd like to ask questions about, you're invited to. I'm not going to name you uh, if, if, I, if you're in my you know, contact list, but feel free to text in your question uh, or questions. And at the end of our gathering, I'll invite people to join me up here and I'll, I'll do my best to answer those questions. But today, where we're beginning is with a gift that you might not realize is a gift and it's the Word of God. I actually think that we have the same questions as, as Peter ends. But I'm going to ask them this way. I'm going to ask them this way. In a world of Bibles, what makes the Holy Bible better? What makes it unique? What, why would we trust this Bible and not the other ones that we might listen to? And I've got three reasons I'm going to share with you this morning. One is that the Bible is uniquely, it's reliable. Another is that it's helpful. And, that it's, and the third is that it's important. Okay, the Bible is reliable, it's helpful, and it is important. So first, let's talk about why the Bible is reliable. What makes the Holy Bible reliable? Well, let's talk about its origin, right? Unlike other Bibles that we might have access to that are either totally human or totally divine, Scripture makes the claim that it is both. And the old word that we used to use for that is that it's inspired. The biblical term is that it is God-breathed. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, which we heard read a minute ago, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. It is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is what Islam teaches about its Quran. Okay? In Islam, it's believed, I don't know if you know this or not, in Islam it's believed that the Quran always existed, word for word, in heaven, and it was dictated directly to Muhammad the prophet by an angel. Muhammad memorized it, he repeated it to his followers, and they wrote it down. In other words, in Islam it's believed that the Quran bypasses the human author. It bypasses his intellect. It bypasses his opinions and biases so that there can't possibly be any mistakes in the Quran. Except, if you read the Quran, and I've not read the whole thing, but I've read enough of it uh, to to know this, if you've read some of the Quran, it gets some really basic Christian teachings very, very wrong and represents those as as though Christians believe it. Now, that's a very, very serious problem for the the view of the Quran as word-for-word, reliable, infallible, etc. Now, the Holy Bible makes a different claim, that it is God-breathed. And so here's kind of what that looks like. Let's say you're a guy named John Mark, and you lived 2,000 years ago, and you want to tell some of your friends in Rome about Jesus. And so you write a letter. And from Mark's point of view, it's a letter to his friends. But the Holy Spirit is involved, and he's participating in the process too. And from the Spirit's point of view, these are God's own words. And that letter goes to Rome, and what that letter becomes for us is the Gospel of Mark. And later, the Apostle Paul, he's going to write some letters back and forth to some churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi and Ephesus and all all over the place. And those are the New Testament letters. And it's the same for Peter and James and and John and and even as far back as Moses and David and Samuel and Jeremiah and the prophets and on and on and on. And so we believe that the origin of Scripture is is unique. It is God-breathed but not in a way that bypasses the author. The the human purpose of the author and the Holy Spirit's purpose for that writing, those things come together, and they're both present in Scripture. That's why the Apostle Peter says that above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophet's though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you've got a prophet speaking and you've got the Holy Spirit carrying him along at the same time. And so if you've read the Bible for more than five minutes, every once in a while, the author's personality sneaks in. and sometimes he might get his math wrong or might, maybe he might get the sequence of events uh, in a different order than another writer. Describing the same events. And and sometimes things are just plain hard to understand. Sometimes things are just so powerfully, beautifully true, though, at the same time, that there's just no way that the human author could have known how helpful that would be for us all these years later. And the whole thing is God's word. The whole thing is God's word. So we don't need to be surprised when the Bible feels very human and and earthy or when it feels like it is a divine, eternal sort of revelation because it is both. It's both. And that's what we mean when we say that Scripture is God-breathed. That's when Scripture is behaving exactly as it should, as both a human and a divine piece of work. And that doesn't make the Bible less reliable. It makes it more reliable. I think that makes it more reliable. So that's about the, the origin of the Bible. Let me say something about the evidence for the Bible. The evidence for the Bible. In fact, I want to I think I'm really excited about this. I've been waiting to share this for a while because I love graphics and charts, and this is going to be really helpful. So have a look at this, which shows some of the some of the data that we have for some really, really old written pieces of work. Now every one of these blue dots is a copy of an old manuscript that we have. Now, how many of us have heard of Plato, the old philosopher Plato? Okay, so Plato is taught in in universities. What we know about Plato comes from a work whose oldest surviving copy was written, like that copy dates back to 200 years after Plato. So there's a gap of 200 years there, and there's about 210 copies of it that, that exist, but to this day, nobody doubts whether Plato was real. You with me on that? How many people have ever heard of a work called Homer's Iliad? How many people have heard of that? Okay, great. Most of us, actually. The oldest copy that we have of Homer's Iliad was was copied almost 400 years after Homer wrote the original work. And there's about 1,800 copies of it that are surviving to this day, so that's pretty reliable. We consider it pretty reliable that there are 1,800 copies and it's a gap of only 400 years. Now, how many of us have heard of Julius Caesar? Okay, most of us again. What we know about Caesar, Julius Caesar, comes from a work called the Gallic Wars. And the earliest copy that we have of the Gallic Wars dates back to 850 years after Caesar. We only have 251 manuscripts of that piece of work, of the Gallic Wars. Only 251 surviving copies exist today. But nobody questions whether or not Julius Caesar was real. You with me so far? Now, what about the New Testament? I wonder how many ancient copies would it take to convince us that the New Testament is reliable. So here it is to scale. Every blue dot is is one of the copies of these other documents. Every red dot is a copy of the New Testament that we have. It's either a partial or a full copy of the New Testament. Now, we don't have the original New Testament letters. I actually think that that's a good thing because we would probably, you know, revere them and people would worship them or something like that. But the most ancient copies that we have of the New Testament date back to the year 125 A.D. That's only a gap of about 30 years from the witnesses who wrote these events down. Now, how many copies are there? Again, you see those red dots? We're talking about more than 24,000 Complete or partial copies of the New Testament. 24,000. By the way, there's even more of the Old Testament. Something like 60,000 copies and about 200,000 partial uh, fragments of the Old Testament. And the point here is that when we read the Holy Bible, we never need to worry that something's missing. Okay? Or that, that it can't handle our questions. The Bible... It's reliable. It stands up to our scrutiny. And the evidence is all right here, okay? The Bible is reliable. Let's talk for a minute about why the Bible is helpful. Why it's helpful. There's a couple of reasons here. First, because it's relatable, okay? Now, I used to think of the Bible as this one massive work... It was intimidating. I felt like I had, in order to understand the Bible, I had to start at the beginning and work my way all the way through. And I usually dropped off somewhere around Leviticus. Has that been your experience before? You've tried to do a, a walk through the Bible and you fell off somewhere in the Pentateuch. Okay, so no shame here, just grace. You're among friends. But what I've come to appreciate over the years is that the Bible is actually a library library. It's a library. I find it helpful to think of it that way. In fact, the name Bible comes from a Greek word, Biblia, which just means books. The Bible is a collection of books. It's an ancient library, and it's got all kinds of human voices, not just one. So it's just as much God's voice when we're hearing it from Ruth or from Esther or from Abraham or Moses or Peter or Paul or even Mary. And and this range of voices does something that's actually really helpful. Because we've got a range of voices that validates the human experience. And you can spend time in Scripture, and we find love, and we find joy, and we find misery, and we find pain, and fear, and we find despair, and anxiety, and hope, and patience, and doubt, and unbelief, and faith. And on and on and on. Absolutely every part of the human experience, God's Word gives voice to it. So that we can know that we're not alone. We can know that God sees. We're not invisible. You know? And God understands. And that, that's why Scripture is... Next slide. That's why Scripture is, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, he says that it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why it is useful for all these things. So that's super helpful. I think another way that the Bible is helpful is that it is clear. The Bible is clear. Now, <clears throat> when I say that the Bible is clear, I'm not saying that makes it easy. What I mean is what the, the, the reformers used to say in the 1615 and 1600s, what they meant by the term sola scriptura. Sola scriptura is a Latin phrase that means scripture alone. It means that the Bible is enough. The Bible is enough. It's sufficient. I don't know if you know this, but before the Reformation, people didn't have a Bible. They weren't allowed to read it in their own language. The only Bibles were in Latin. And so in order to hear God's Word, you had to call on a priest or a pope. And often the teaching of that priest or pope directly contradicted the Bible. The Bible. And so in those days, the Bible wasn't enough. I actually think in some ways the same thing is going on in in our day. I think that there's a warning that we need to hear on this. I think we need to watch out for teachers who cause us to trust their words more than we trust the words of the Bible. I think we need to watch out for anybody who stands in the way or who postures himself or herself as sort of the go-between for us being able to understand what God has said watch out for anybody who undermines the Bible by, by by convincing us that it's beyond our ability to comprehend that's somebody to watch out for in fact scripture warns us about that the Apostle Peter tells the church in 2 Peter three sixteen. he says that he talks about Paul's writing he says in paul's letters he speaks uh, of, of these matters his letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction here's peter calling paul's letters scripture saying that there are people who distort these okay The Apostle Paul, in his message to Timothy, he sends a warning as well. He tells Timothy in uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 here, he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Don't preach yourself. Don't preach what's popular. Preach the word. And be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And I'll tell you why. Because the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So because people have these itchy ears, they want to hear things that are a little more comfortable, a little more, you know, maybe culturally acceptable, maybe politically correct. They will turn aside from those who teach the word. Paul says, no, 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 I want you to preach the word. Because the word is enough. It is what we need. It has what we need. And what needs to be clear is clear. It's enough. That's why a simple shepherd like David could say in the psalm, uh, in psalm 119, he said, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Well, one more thing that I think is super helpful. Scripture is personal. It's personal. Okay? Scripture is personal. Here's what I mean. I mean by that that it is about a person. It's not merely about, you know, truths and facts and history. It's about a person. There is one sort of meta story in the Bible. God creates a world that turns from him. And he pursues them. He goes after them, and they run from him. And he comes to them in person. And they kill him. But he is raised from the dead. And he promises he's coming back to remake the world and undo all the bad stuff. And that is, that is, the, that is the story of the Bible. Every part of the Bible that you read fits into this redemption story somewhere. Every part of the Bible fits into that story. And we know that because when Jesus had risen, he's having a conversation with some friends on the road. He's talking to these disciples who are confused. And in Luke's gospel, he tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Here's Jesus going back to the letters of Moses, going back to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and on and on and on and saying, yep, here's how that was about me. Here's how this was about me. That was about me too. Yep, so is that and that and that and that. It's all about Jesus. In other words, no part of the Bible can be understood fully apart from Jesus. And every part of the Bible is there to point us to Jesus. Jesus. Every part of the Bible is there to point us to Jesus. In fact, let me share this from a a scholar named Edmund Clowney. If you don't know who Edmund Clowney is, how many of us have heard of Tim Keller? Everything that Tim Keller learned about the Bible, he learned from this guy, Edmund Clowney. And Ed Clowney says that the Bible is the greatest storybook, not just because it is full of wonderful stories, but because it tells one great story, the story of Jesus. I just think that's so helpful. The Scriptures are helpful because they're clear and they're relatable and they present us with the person of Jesus. And no other, none of the other Bibles that we use, none of the other Bibles that we listen to can do that. So the Bible's helpful. It's reliable, it's helpful. And the last idea here is that it's important. The Bible is uniquely important. One thing I just want to say here is, is the reason why we can say that the Bible is so important is because the Bible makes the claim that it is a vehicle for God's own authority. Now, maybe you don't love the language of authority, but authority is actually kind of important. Like, in our culture, uh, a guy like Jordan Peterson, he has made a career of teaching men how to apply Bible stories that he himself doesn't believe in. If, If you're a big fan of Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan tells 11 million people per week why they shouldn't get the COVID vaccine, and they just they listen to him. And and millions of people will pay big money to hear David Chappelle make fun of trans people. They'll, they'll listen to him, they'll just take it. Millions of people listen to these guys and, and others because we all know that there's all kinds of Bibles. Everybody's got a Bible. But where did their authority come from? Where did they, their authority come from? Well, they they have none actually. They have none. It was given to them by their fans. And the fans listen. Like it's the Bible. Like it's infallible. Like it's authoritative. Even though they have no authority. What gives these guys the right to, to say and teach these things as, though, as if it's true? Well, they have no authority. But the Holy Bible is different. Listen to this from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah says in chapter 66 he says, he's quote he's sort of speaking on behalf of God and he says heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool where is the house that you will build for me where will be my resting place has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being he declares the Lord these are the ones I look on with favor listen to this here's who I look on with favor those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. Those who tremble at my word. I don't know if you remember what it was, what it's like to tremble at God's word. I don't know if you've ever trembled at it. I don't know if you've ever felt inside like, I, what I just read is God's own words. It's his. And you tremble inside. And it's like, why would we tremble at it? We tremble because God's word carries authority. It's not like other Bibles in that sense. Where, where Scripture has spoken, God has spoken. And it is the final authority because these are God's words. There is no like higher authority. These are God's words. It's, it carries God's authority. The creator of all things, he has spoken in this book. He's, like, he's broken the fourth wall. Okay, He's written himself into the story. And that's what our Bible is. That's what our Bible is. Think of it this way. Imagine reading Harry Potter. Okay? Imagine reading Harry Potter, and at the moment where Harry feels most alone, he gets to hear the voice of J.K. Rowling herself. Her own voice busts in and reassures him that everything's going to be okay. Would that change things for Harry? Yeah, of course it would. What if Tolkien himself, J.R.R. Tolkien, what if he himself... He made his voice known within the Lord of the Rings stories in order to tell Frodo that his mission will be a success, that as dark as it's going to get, Frodo, this is going to work. Well, Frodo would take him at his his word because he has the authority to say so, to make it true. What What if, like, I mean, some of us are Anne of Green Gables fans. So imagine if, like, Lucy Maud Montgomery, she made her voice plain, across Green Gables and said to Anne, Anne, your red hair is a gift. No matter what anybody else says, your red hair is a gift. It's a blessing. You know what? I bet Anne would believe that. Because she, and she'd be a fool not to because Lucy Maud Montgomery is her creator. She is the authority. And that's what the Bible is. The author has written himself into this story. Nobody gave him that authority. It's his It's his because he's God. And and so lots of people are going to say things about you. Lots of people are going to tell you who you are. and, And they're going to make promises that if you do this, this will happen. But only God's word has his authority. And of all our Bibles, this is the one that matters most. This is the one that is important. This is the one that's important. So... Uh, Back to the question that we heard at the top. What do we do with a Bible like this? What do we do with a God like this? What do we do with a God like this? What do we do with a Bible like this? Well, think of it this way. What should Harry Potter do with the words of J.K. Rowling? What should Frodo do with Tolkien? What should Anne do with Lucy Maud Montgomery? What should Edmund do with C.S. Lewis? What should Joe March do with Jane Austen? Don't you see? I think, I think if we could, if we could, wouldn't we pull them aside and wouldn't we say, you might be a tad entitled here. Can I just remind you, that's your creator. They actually love you. They know what's good for you. Like, listen to what they have to say. They want good things for you. Listen to what they have to say. Wouldn't we want to remind those characters of what a gift it is to know the author of their own story? I think we would. I think we would. Of course we would. And so, so could we accept, could we receive that reminder today for ourselves that our author has written us into his story? And, and so what I'm suggesting today is that, is that in the Bible we have this amazing gift and God hasn't left us on our own to figure out the truth. He's preserved it for us he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need. Now, does Scripture ask something of us? Yes, it does. But it gives far more in return. And so we don't bail on Scripture. We bow. We don't just, like, decorate ourselves with our Bibles. We, we devour Scripture. We don't just study the Bible. We, we let the Bible study us. And we thank him for writing us into the story. That's when the Bible is doing what it should. That's when the Bible is behaving in our lives the way it should. And that's when we will say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, who says, this is David saying, how sweet are your words to my taste. Now, it's like, what does he know? He's just a shepherd. All he, he, he hasn't been to seminary. He hasn't studied ancient Hebrew and Greek and stuff. All he knows is that God's words are sweet to his taste, sweeter than honey to his mouth. He says, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Listen to this from the prophet. This is Jeremiah. God says, is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Yes, that's what, my, that's what God's word is like. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, what I'm going to do most weeks as I wrap up is I'm going to share a few questions that you can take home. Uh, you, you might discuss these with the, some of the folks in your faith family over, over a meal, you might discuss these as you're out for coffee with a friend. You might just write about these and and think about these as you're journaling during the week. The first question is this. Who or what in my life besides the Bible functions in my life as a Bible? How's my relationship with the Bible? Okay? How's my relationship with the Bible? Third question. If my Bible is truly reliable, helpful, and important, what should change in how I use it? What should change in how I use it if I really believe that it's reliable and helpful and important? Let me close uh, with this. You know, but some of you might know, about a year ago, <clears throat> I'd been hanging out with uh, one of our neighbors. Um, we've actually never been inside each other's home, but we have spent hours on each other's porch, Okay. Eventually, this neighbor asked me for a Bible, but it had to be in Mandarin. Now, I don't have access to any Mandarin Bibles, but within the community, within the community, we do. And so I actually asked Irene. Irene was generous enough to find one for me, and I was able to give him a Mandarin Bible. And when I handed him this Mandarin Bible, his eyes lit up as though I had handed him a million dollars. And I spent maybe five minutes talking to him about how, how the Bible fits together. Like, like just what's, what it's about, how it fits together. Maybe five minutes. T- ten tops, okay? We're not talking like a rigorous scholarly discussion here. Just a little bit of, just the, the minimum orientation for reading the Bible. And then he went and he read it voraciously for like weeks, for, for months. And, and, and listen, this neighbor of mine, he's not a fool, Okay? He's not naive about what's in there. And he knows that there are other Bibles and other voices that he could listen to. But he is content with this one. He's content with this one. You know how I know? A few months after I gave him this Bible and we're catching up, he invites me over to his porch again and we sit down together and he opens up and just talks about how this thing has changed his life. And weeping, he tells me, Mike, I can never thank you enough. This book changes everything. This is a gift. Like, it all makes sense now. Jesus is real. I am changed. On and on. This is what he told me. I'm, I'm quoting him. And I don't know who had more joy in those moments, whether it was him or me, but I'll tell you, I am so used to defending the Bible against people who wish that it didn't say what it says. And here's a guy who can't get enough of it? It's like food for him. It's like, it's like a feast for him. Here's a guy who doesn't need me to fix or to correct or reinterpret the Bible for him. He just needs me to get out of the way so that God can speak. Here's a guy who knows that what he holds in his hands are the very words of the God who made him and who loves him. And he's content with Scripture. He is content with the gift of Scripture, and it is so beautiful. Like, I needed that. I needed that, and I want that for myself. And I'll be honest, I want that for all of us. I want that for all of us. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.